I'm sitting here in my own house, minding my own business. Where you been? I don't think you can. I've been having a hell of a time. When I'm bad. End of question and answer period. This is High Camp, the podcast where I try to watch all 406 movies from an out-of-print gay film guide before I die. I'm your host, Brian Rucker, and today I am very excited to be joined by Brian Rainstein. Thanks so much for having me. How's it going? It's going good. Excited to be here. Yeah. Uh, we have a very crazy movie to talk about today. <laughs> um, Glenn or Glenda by the infamous Ed Wood. Yeah, I recently watched the Ed Wood movie for the first time, so I was very excited to watch his actual stuff. Yeah, I had never seen... Like, I saw uh, the Ed Wood movie years ago, I guess as a teenager, and, you know, you obviously hear the name and this movie and Plan 9 from Outer Space and all that stuff. But I'd never uh, seen any of them before. So I'm super excited. There was yeah. an excuse to watch it. And I was so surprised it was uh, available to stream on Amazon Prime. Totally. In two formats, too. It's yeah. like the black and white and they have like a color version, which I think is even longer somehow. I wonder. I didn't watch the color version. It is weird. It seems like a weird movie to be restored and colorized. I wonder when that happened. Yeah, it does feel like it was... Like his career is remembered better than it was received probably at the time. Because oh, it's all yeah. kept like, I think at the time they probably hated everything he did. And now it's like this huge like cult following of everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that started, I'll talk, we'll talk about mm. it a little more in detail. But I think that started in the 80s and then obviously continued after the Tim Burton movie. Um, but before we get into any of that, uh, every week I like to start off the show talking about a little industry news. But... It's December, the rich industry people are away at St. Bart's or <laughs> wherever they're going. So there's not much going on except for the Oscar race. Uh, Brian, are you much of an Oscar person, Oscar watcher? You know, I, I'm i excited for the awards. I think every other year I'll watch it. But I love being in L.A. You see all the billboards all the time. Yeah. And I love like looking at the weird poll quotes and like see what's going to pop up. It, it It's such a fascinating or for me at least fascinating sort of subculture of of Hollywood and like how I guess important they are for movies that aren't like based on IP or part of a big cinematic universe like the way that anyone mm -hmm. gets to see these sort of adult movies at this point is because of uh, their potential like awards consideration. That's true. I was thinking about that because like so many things have like if you win an award, it's like a guarantee that you'll be in stuff for the next few years too. Mm -hmm. And usually those actors are like, like I remember Richard Jenkins before he ever won. Nobody like cared he was a character. Yeah, actor. he was just a little character actor. Um, so I mean, Mahershala Ali is another true. example of someone you know you'd seen a bunch before, but you'd, I didn't even really know his name. And then yeah, it can totally. Uh, launch you and then there's other stories of people like monique who won an oscar and mm -hmm. then really doesn't work um yeah in movies why. anymore i mean there's a lot of i think she uh has a lot of issues uh outside of work i well i don't <laughs> from what i've read yeah it's like a maybe it's specific example um but this year i think this year is shaping up to be a really exciting 
and sort of dynamic and like n- there aren't really many front runners or like it, it yeah. seems very fluid at this point. And we're recording this uh, the beginning of December. So uh, when you by the time you guys hear this, the Golden Globe nominations will be out. And I think the SAG nominations will be out, too. Um, mm-hmm. Last Christmas will probably be sweet. Oh, I'm sure. Last Christmas. Um, what was the one with Matthew McConaughey and, and uh, Hathaway? Oh, that I came just out watched that. that. <laughs> uh, what, what was it called? Oh, it's some, Serenity. Serenity. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh I'm sure that'll God. be sweeping everything. Yeah, that's got to get something. Uh, so have you ever been to the website goldderby.com? Oh, my brother's a huge oh, really? uh, Academy Awards guy. So oh, cool. yeah, I know all about that. So stuff. yeah, like gold derby, if you don't know, is, um, it's sort of like the, the five thirty eight for awards. It's like pronostication. There, there's a whole culture of people that make their living somehow, um, <laughs> predicting Oscars. Yeah. I have a good friend. I went to film school oh, okay. and my friend every year does a thing. His last name is Spear and it's called the Spearies. And he'll still do it where he'll have nominations and then he'll have the award show. Oh, wow. And it's all based on like Academy trends and stuff. Will he actually like make a video of the award show or no, it's no. just, it's just like a blog post. Oh, okay. I wish, I wish. Oh, you'll have to send that to me. I like, yeah. I have this weird, not, I don't actually want to pursue this as a career, but it, it does. I, I, I like following this stuff so much. It is, it, it sort of, um, combines my, I guess like my love for movies and then just my weird sort of left brain organizational side mm-hmm. of like stats and stuff. Yeah. Cause I'm not really into sports. So this is sort of like my like sports. sports. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, so on gold derby, they rank, uh, I guess by who they consider experts and sort of the readers, what movies are in contention for all the nominations. But today we'll talk about best picture and, they rank, I mean, they have like hundreds of movies listed. Wow. I, just me, and again, I have no qualifications, but honestly, like no one that does this has any qualifications. <laughs> I think that there are probably 12 movies that have the potential to get nominated for Best Picture. And then I think seven of them are probably locks, but I'll see if you okay. agree with me. Yeah. So right now I'll just list um, the top 12. And now with Best Picture, any where from between five and 10 movies can be nominated based on, I don't know the intricacies of the voting, but it usually it ends up being like eight or nine. Yeah. Um, so right now the top of the list is the Irishman. Okay. Followed by once upon a time in Hollywood, marriage story, 1917 parasite, little women, Jojo rabbit, oh, wow. Joker, Ford V Ferrari, the farewell bombshell, and a beautiful day at the neighborhood. And then after that, there's like the two popes, Avengers Endgame, Hustlers, Book Smart, a bunch of movies that I don't really think have a chance. Yeah. Um, but I believe, yeah, I believe that those top seven from the Irishman to Jojo Rabbit are probably like locks. Well, I didn't know Jojo Rabbit was like so high up there. I it's, loved it. Did you love it? I okay. loved it. I, I didn't love it. I, I I sort of appreciated parts of it. I thought the the kid was really, really good. So good. Um it didn't. I don't know. Like, I didn't think it was very funny. And then like the touching parts didn't really affect me (laughs) in the way I think that they were supposed to either, but people really love that movie. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. And it feels like a cool Holocaust movie that feels (laughs) relevant. It's a cool Holocaust movie. No, but like, I don't know. As someone who had to watch so many and read so many books in high school about it, like this feels a little more like emotional and I don't know. It it does just bring it back into context, I guess. Yeah. And it, it takes sort of, I mean, cause I think it's sort of similar to like what 
life is beautiful was trying to do. It's not as maudlin as that, but like taking a really like small personal story and, uh, making it relevant to like this huge historical atrocity. Mm -hmm. I I don't think I love Taita Waititi's sense of humor. Like it's so, it's so silly to me. I don't know. Yeah. I feel like he is having a huge moment right now where it's like totally booming for him. I enjoy it, but I'm like a big flight of the Concords fan from back then, but it is definitely kind of the same thing. And it is such a, like, I don't know, like it's a lot of throwaway lines that are funny and like really yeah. out, like silly gags. Yeah, it's like people in very serious situations saying very like frivolous things, mm-hmm. and I think that can be funny. But it, to me, it like gets old after a while. I don't know. Um, so we talked about Joe Rat. Let's start at yeah. the top. Irishman. <laughs> Did you see it? No. It's very long. It's so long. <laughs> it's going to be like five watches for me. I it's think. so long. I forced myself, not forced myself because it was very good, but like I watch it in the theater. So it's mm-hmm. like you're just sitting there and there's no intermission. You're just watching it. Wow. <laughs> uh, so I got through it all in one. T- yeah. If I was at home, I don't know. I don't think I could watch it like all through it. But if you like, I like Scorsese a lot. I'm not like a huge, like passionate Scorsese fan usually. So this one I thought was great, but there are other movies I like more. Mm. Uh, once upon a time in Hollywood, saw it, loved it. I thought. What really? did you think? You, you, you didn't love it. Nah. What? Because I feel like no. I thought the ending was stupid, and I loved the one, like the Brad Pitt flashback. I thought was good, and the Leo acting part was good. Yeah. But outside of that, I was like, I don't know. Ugh. I like Tarantino, but I think he he knows he's cool, and I I'm over him. I. This is this might be my favorite Tarantino movie. Wow. I like I, I'm I love uh like sixties Los Angeles and I've been like a big um well, I don't want to say Manson fan, but like <laughs> I I've read a lot of the books I think about the that cool, stuff. Yeah, exactly. So. <laughs> yeah. Hey. Um but I just thought this was it it, it it personalized and just brought you back to that place in such a beautiful way. And I I mean, Leo and Brad were fantastic, but yeah. Margot Robbie as Sharon Tate, I thought it was one of the most beautiful, just like um, affectionate portraits of a woman who uh, whose life was cut short. And uh, I thought she just was was just amazing in the movie. Um, I think you maybe got more out of it than me because I, when I was watching those parts, I was just like, "What? Why am I watching this?" Because it had nothing to do with, with what I thought the story was. Yeah, yeah, they like. Um, because yeah, the stories only sort of combine at the very end of the movie. The the scene, the, I think the scene that will, uh, the like the best scene in all of movies from this year for me is the scene of her watching the real Sharon Tate in that movie theater and watching people like enjoy her performance and her like realizing that she's um, like entertaining people and like doing her job really well. Oh. Uh, and I thought that was yeah, that's just the the best scene in the movie in all the movies for me this year. Um, but. It's fine that you didn't like it. Oh, Why yeah, no. It Wait. sounds like you really shined a light on the parts that I was like, get this well, off the screen. Because, like, if you... Did, so you... Did you not really know much about, like, the Manson murders and stuff? To be totally honest, I thought I knew what it was, and I was a little off. Because if you don't come in with any of that knowledge, I don't... Yeah, it feels like... I don't know that you would get much... Because he uh, expects you to know a fair amount about it going right. in. They don't, like, over-explain anything. So, yeah, I don't... It, it seems... If you weren't already... Uh, knowledgeable about that I don't yeah it's, it, it seems like what would you get out of this yeah I didn't do I th- feel like I didn't do my homework maybe yeah, yeah, no whatever um, Marriage Story I still haven't seen this one Have you? okay I was driving over here NPR was 
had Noah Baumbach on and he was talking about it, but yeah, because uh, I didn't get a chance to see it in the theater. It just came on Netflix as we're recording this today. Oh, whoa. So uh, by the time you listen to this episode, I will have watched it. I think I'll really like it. I love Noah Baumbach. Um, I love movies about sad people. So, uh, are <laughs> you like a slam dunk Baumbach person? No, but I haven't really given it a chance. I feel like he has movies a lot, like come out a lot. I'm like yeah. Baumbach. What are you doing? Um, but Squid, this one I'm gonna watch. Squid and the Whale I really liked, and the what was the one that came out a couple years ago with Adam Sandler on Netflix? I like that too. Oh, the Meyerowitz. Meyerowitz. Yeah, yeah. I, I did watch that. Yeah. That was good. Uh, 1917. I've seen the trailer. Oh, it's a one shot. Well, they pretend. I don't think it's really a one shot. Oh, but they like edited it. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's a war movie. It looks impressive. Mm-hmm. Like um, the scene where he's running towards the camera and everyone else is running away. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Uh, dads all over the world are gonna really like it. I think. Parasite. Parasite. Loved it. So good. Uh, yeah, probably. I don't know if it's like my favorite, favorite movie of the year, but it's probably the best movie of the year. It's like a perfect movie. Yeah, totally. I agree with that. Not oh. my favorite, but yeah. Amazing. Hits every note. Everyone's so good in it. Yeah. Uh, I think, I mean, it's right now it's at fifth in fifth place, but I think it has a dark, like dark horse chance of winning. Because mm-hmm. um, it seems like the type of movie that no one doesn't like. Like no one has a problem with it. Everyone is pretty like passionately behind it. Yeah, I wonder if that will be like a knock against it. They'll be like, yeah, everyone knows that's the best movie. And then they'll vote for their other ones. Yeah, I don't know. Who knows? Uh, Little Women. Uh, I can't. Are you a little? You're probably not a Little Women person. (laughs) Okay, so I'm not a Little Women person, but I'm a Greta Gerwig person. And I like, I saw Midsummer with Florence Pugh. And I'm excited for all the actresses. Even the like youngest one was in that weird HBO. Oh, yeah. She She was was great in that. Yeah. Uh, I grew up with the '90s version of this movie, the Gillian uh, Armstrong um, with Winona Ryder and Claire Danes. It was like a very formative movie for me, and I had I like at the when I was a kid, I would go back and even watch like the the Catherine Hepburn version and mm-hmm. the June Allison Elizabeth Taylor version. So I'm like super super psyched for this. It's funny. I've never actually read the book of Little Women. Oh, really? <laughs> but I just love, like, I, especially the 90s version. I just love it so much. So, And I, I like Greta Gerwig a lot, too. So I'm very excited for that. Mm-hmm. Jojo Rabbit, we already talked about. Then, ooh, then we get into Joker. Oh, boy. I'm not going to watch this movie. You haven't seen it? <laughs> no. Oh, it's great. Really? I love this movie. Oh. I And looking back on it, I like it even more than I did at the time. I think it's... <laughs> what? Uh, it is maybe the greatest single performance of the year with Joaquin Phoenix. He does stuff that no one else in the world can do, I think. Okay. Um, it's probably like politically, it's like a pretty stupid, uh, not well thought out movie, but it's it was just so such a great visceral experience and like on such a big stage. It made a billion dollars and it's a fucked up crazy movie. So I'm, I don't know, I'm pro Joku. Whoa, okay. That's a good pitch. Yeah. Uh, Ford v. Ferrari. Loved it. I loved it too. Another dad yeah. movie. Yeah, oh, such a dad movie. Oh my God. Uh, I know nothing about cars. I mm-hmm. didn't understand how this race worked. Nope. But yeah, it was very, and I saw it in like Dolby. Oh, um, nice. So just the sound. Yeah, I saw IMAX and I was okay, like, that cool. was the right choice. And it's the best. I mean, I sort of hot and cold on Christian Bale. Uh, really? But he was great in this. So good. And yeah. Matt Damon too. I thought, no? Uh, miscast. As like mm. a Texan, I just didn't. He's a, he's a great movie star. I like yeah. Matt Damon a lot, but I don't know. I didn't really buy him in this part. Had the hat. It's good he enough. He did for me. have the hat. <laughs> he had the hat and like the accent. Yeah. Uh, oh wait, we're past. Okay, so now these are the ones starting with Joker. Oh, I think oh. these are the ones that are like could get in and could not get gotcha. in. Gotcha. Um, the farewell. Did you see that? Yes, I like the farewell. I really liked it a lot. Yeah, it was, um, really good. it was a great just sort of like family. 
like movie about a family that wasn't, it was sad, but it wasn't like a dysfunctional family. Right. Um, and very interesting as like an outsider, like understanding this culture and how they hide things from people, but then they know that someone will do it from them in the future. However that works, you know? Yeah. It's very strange. And like a very different sort of set of cultural expectations around death than we have as Americans. And they, I thought they did a really good job of not over explaining it, but giving you enough context, like understand where everyone was coming from. Totally. And I thought it was very cool to have like an American movie that is mostly in Mandarin and like not like, I don't, there's not too many like bilingual movies. Um, yeah. And like get it being a pretty big hit over the summer. I thought it was pretty cool. Totally. Yeah. I loved it. Uh, bombshell. I don't believe anyone. Well, I think like some press people have seen this yet. Um, I do you like the Jay Roach uh, like political movies? I think they're fine. I, I for some reason I love them. Okay, um, like Recount and Game Change. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're just like they make politics fun and maybe I don't know maybe it's almost like an irresponsible way because politics maybe shouldn't be fun. <laughs> it like but sensationalizes. Yeah, it's like soap operaizes everything, and uh, I'm and I love all three of these actresses, so I'm excited to see it, to see it. Mm. Uh, then we got. A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Did you see that one? No, but I'm excited for it. It's really good. Yeah. It's better than I expected. What's the guy that's not Tom Hanks in it? Matthew Reese. He's so good. He's great. Yeah. He the he's in the Americans, it's like one of the best performances of the decade. Right. He's very good in this as like a cynic. It's sort of like the audience surrogate of oh, Mr. Rogers can't be that great. Like, yeah, there has to be like a gimmick. Yeah. And so you're sort of seeing it through his eyes, and then as he gets like indoctrinated into Mr. <laughs> oh, Rogers no. and Tom Hanks. It's weird. Cause like he doesn't try to look like Mr. Rogers. So yeah. at the beginning you're just like, this is Tom Hanks mm-hmm. and he doesn't even sound like him. But after the first scene, I don't know. I, I got into it after a while. Okay. It was, it's a very just sort of sweet movie and yeah. it's the same director as can you ever forgive me? Oh yeah. I just um, watched that. I, I liked so it a lot. Good. Oh yeah. My God. yeah. I like, can you ever forgive me better? But this was, this was good. Okay. Then, yeah, that's the top 12. Is there anything else you think after this that would, like, have a chance at Best Picture? Mm, I don't think so. I, I've never even heard of The Two Popes. Oh, that's a... It's coming out soon. It's another Netflix one. It's um, Jonathan Price as the one that's Pope now. Okay. For Francis? Yes. Francis. And then Anthony Hopkins as the Nazi one. But it's oh. like it's like they're fr- they're like it's like Green Book. I think it's like the two of them just <laughs> hanging out and talking in the south. <laughs> yeah, in the south, exactly. <laughs> Eating pizza. Hell yeah. Um, yeah, and then like Avengers. That's not gonna get Best Picture. Mm-hmm. Hush- Hustlers. No. Booksmart. No. Dolomite is my name. All these are great movies, but they're not right. gonna get Best Picture nominations. Rocket Man. Knives Out. I thought was good. And oh, Pain and Glory. The Report. These are all great movies, but yeah, they're not gonna get Best Picture. So that's it for for now the movie roundup yeah uh anything have you been watching anything lately like movies tv besides the ones we just talked about <laughs> uh i did want to talk about my favorite one of my favorite shows is yeah. the the netflix uh japanese reality tv show terrace house oh We've yeah talked about it before but yeah yeah you've mentioned it a bunch of times and i have heard from other people that it's really good i've never even seen an episode um so yeah, what what is it and why do you like it so much? It's weird. It's hard to pitch it, but I will. It's basically like six singles, usually singles, uh, move into a house. And terrace is spelled T-E-R-R-A-C-E, like a terrace view. I think they all have a terrace view, but it has nothing to do with the show. Oh. Anyways, six singles. They're provided like two luxury automobiles. 
They usually live somewhere in Japan, although there's a season in Hawaii that's my favorite, actually. Uh, and they're just living their lives, working their jobs, and going on dates with each other, and like trying to fall in love, but it rarely ends that way. And then there's like this whole notion of if you do couple up, then you leave the house together. And whenever hmm. anyone leaves, another person comes of the same. Oh, so it's like gender. a continuous yeah. flow of people. So it's not like a different cast every season necessarily. It'll just flow. Every season's about a year and they'll start with six people. And by the end, it's usually all different. And then there's also a panel of six people that make jokes about them and judge them. And it's very satisfying and fun. And it's earnest, right? It's not like sensational or like sexy necessarily. Like No, it's not sexy. It's, yeah, it's very earnest and people know they're on a TV show. That's something to know going in because they'll watch themselves on the show from like three weeks before because it's Netflix every week it's airing. Uh, oh, so they're they're shooting it as they're airing it? Yeah. That is fascinating. But there's like a couple characters that <laughs> they will kind of like, the editors are very good at like letting you know how to feel. And there's like a thing in Japan where like the sad boys are like praised. <laughs> like if you get like left hanging for a date, it's more of a triumphant thing. But as I'm watching it, I'm like, oh, they're doing them dirty. But they're like, no, that's actually probably good for his image. Oh, yeah. Because then people know. will like feel sorry for them. Yeah. And, like, that, that seems like that would be sort of similar, especially like for teenage girls to 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 develop crushes on these like sad depressed boys yeah oh and another thing to mention they're all models and they're all very very attractive okay well that's like all reality shows yeah everywhere, probably but they come in like what's your job oh i'm a model it is like every time oh, that's funny because yeah. i don't really watch the bachelor but on that show they sort of like make up they're like oh i'm a veterinary assistant or i'm like a realtor right. even though they're all like they're aspiring all models. models and actors and stuff mm -hmm. um do you feel like it's cast with an eye to the same sort of character archetypes that are prevalent on American reality shows, like, uh, I don't know, mm. the real world or real housewives or something like there's the shit stirrer. There's the, oh. the nice person. There's the type a, there's the villain, or is it not like that? I feel like they always want a cool guy and they always want like, I feel like they cast it to try to make couples and it usually doesn't work out. But I feel like cool guy is a stereotype, and then they love to get drama on, like, the women's side, I think. The guys are usually pretty chill, and I don't know why. Because they only come and film, like, twice a week, and they're choosing what's happening. And oh, So they don't they don't live there for... They live there, but what I've known about the show is, like, the producers and camera crew aren't there all the time. Huh. So there's stuff that goes under the radar. But it's pretty different, and sometimes it feels boring, but you'll keep watching it. Yeah. And it's people just, like having tea together, someone's making dinner and he messed it up a little bit and you're like, can't stop talking about it. And then the panelist like makes fun of them and you're like, oh, this is the best. That sounds really interesting. Like different than the reality TV I like to watch, but I should, I should check it out. Mm -hmm. You don't watch like Real Housewives and stuff, do you? No. No. Cause that's, I, there's too many of them, but I, I like watch all of them. It takes up <laughs> too much time. Uh, and wait, all the seasons are on Netflix? Uh, except for the very first one, which was on a different channel okay. called Cool TV. Cool TV. <laughs> yeah. um, Terrace House. Watch uh, it. I, I'm not really watching much TV right now. Like I, I just finished um, another season of Shit's Creek on Netflix, which mm -hmm. is just a fun sort of turn your brain off, like well-made sitcom. Um, I watched a couple movies over the Thanksgiving break. I saw Waves. 
which oh, I loved, loved, loved. Yeah, I've got to check that out. Uh, Knives Out, I liked. Queen and Slim, I thought was really good. Mm-hmm. And then I saw Frozen 2, which is terrible. <sighs> it's very bad. Yeah, it looks like they totally missed the mark. I didn't even like the first one that much, but this one's worse. Mm-hmm. Um, so let is let us move to the main subject of this podcast. 1953's infamous trans uh, proto queer iconic movie. I don't know. It's called <laughs> Glenn or Glenda. Um, it's by Ed Wood. And yeah. I sent you a list of over 400 movies. Um, why did you want to choose this one? Well, I recently watched on Halloween, I watched the Ed Wood movie for the first time. Uh-huh. And he's so fascinating. And I saw this on the list and I was like, I can, is this available to watch? And is it even watchable? Just everything I know about him from that movie. Yeah. And I'm so glad I watched it. Me too. Uh, I don't really remember a lot of details about the the Tim Burton movie. Um, this was the first time that you, you'd watched that. Yes. And, uh, If I remember correctly, it's sort of like a similar, basically a similar plot of like the disaster artist of this inept person making a well-intentioned movie. Yeah. Um, And this is a huge chunk of it is him making making Glenn or Glenda and then it moves on to like the rest of his career. But I would say like whoever wrote that movie definitely pulled a ton from just watching this about him. Yeah. Yeah. I need to rewatch it because it's the, the, the people that wrote the Ed Wood movie. Um, it's the writing team, uh, that wrote American Crime Story OJ and mm. Man on the Moon and People versus Larry Flint and uh, the recent Dolomite is My Name. Oh, I had their names on here, but now I don't see where they are. Um, wow. But yeah, they, they write all these like um, these biopics of sort of like outsider artists. And this was the first one. This was the first one that they were known for, at least. And I think they got like Oscar nomination. Oh, well. And it's such a weird, that movie is like so um, apart from Tim Burton's other movies, I feel like. Yeah. I mean, it's like totally, I don't know. It's a it's a huge Johnny Depp collab, which yeah. is like away from what he's used to. But it tells, it tells such a like simple and charming story in a way of this guy who has like eternal optimism, it feels mm-hmm. like. Not, and, and none of it is real. Like there's none of that like creepy, like practical gross stuff except for the movies he's making but yeah they show a lot of his life too i don't know i don't love tim burton and i'd really like the ed wood movie yeah i guess like a through line in his movies are sort of an outsider in you know coming against like conventional society but it's been he just has worked for disney for so long now it's like everything is so watered down yeah uh it's too bad but the movie so we both watched this movie last night, Glenn and Glenda, available on Amazon Prime. I, I mean, from the from the Tim Burton and from sort of the reputation, you think, oh, this is going to be one of the worst movies ever, completely inept. And I had a totally different reaction to it. Oh, whoa! Do you? <laughs> I thought it was a total mess. It's so. I bad. mean, it, it is a mess. It's not so. It like has no narrative structure. It's not even really a narrative movie at all. That's a very interesting part about it. Yeah, I will say I was kind of fascinated and less like this is bad and more like that's a weird choice. Yeah, it's almost it, it reminded me more of sort of the more recent like um documentary like personalized documentaries that that people do. Any anyone from like Morgan Spurlock to uh Sarah Polly, they like inject themselves into like a real story using their own footage and then using like also some stock footage 
and uh, like recreations. Yeah. And that's what, so this, it's basically the story of Ed Wood. And I didn't realize until today when I was researching it that Glenn and Glenda is played by Ed Wood. Yeah. And he credits someone named, he credits like Dan something. Yeah. It's a a pseudonym. Daniel Davis. That he used. Yeah. And why, because I hadn't seen the Tim Burton movie in so long, watching it last night, I didn't realize that it was Ed Wood until, (laughs) um, and that makes it, I don't know, even more poignant. Like this movie really affected me emotionally in a weird way. Uh, Cause it is so obviously him working out issues of his own uh, gender identity. And the, the fact that this movie was made in 1953 and talks, I mean, a lot of the terminology is obviously very outdated about, uh, about trans people Mm -hmm. and um, sort of the, the the problems with with like a gender binary but it seemed extremely uh like well-intentioned and way ahead of its time talking about this stuff i'm so like it's amazing that he got to make this movie i think it was just like he he just made he got money and just made it yeah but like yeah the the you're right the way it's like kind of like gently like kind of described and he says what the term he uses is transvestite throughout the movie. And they explain what that is a lot mm-hmm. um, patiently. And the first couple of times I was like, okay, I've heard it already. But as it goes, you're like, this is someone that really is asking the audience to pay attention. Even there's even like a title card. That's like, please don't judge this. This is a true story of human nature. I think it's a really well-intentioned way of like giving a voice to something that was definitely not talked about back then. Yeah. And like the, like what you said, he, he's drilling that transvestite and then later, um, he'll talk about what, what he calls a pseudo hermaphrodite, mm-hmm. which is more, I mean, these, like all these terms uh, are, are obviously different now, but yeah, w- w- repeating over and over for an audience that would be seeing this movie at uh, a drive-in. Like this is, this was a, a very low budget B movie. This came out in 1953. Um, and so I don't think, and like a, an, the audience that would see this would just n- would not be uh, maybe receptive to something like this. Yeah. And like, it's just a totally crazy thing to think you're, if you're watching like a triple feature of like a weird, you know, noir and like mm-hmm. a, sh- like shoot 'em up mood, like these sort of grimy movies. And then you see this very like, almost like educational film about, yeah. about like the trans experience as it's being expressed in the fifties. It just is crazy to me that, that it even happened. Yeah, and it does feel like an educational film, for sure. There's, like, long stretches of, like, B-roll where people are just having a conversation about the topic. And usually, like, there's one where it's, like, two gruff men, and by the end of it, they're like, I guess it is, like, something I can relate to and understand. Yeah, that was one of my favorite scenes. Because that that scene was so, so, and I don't know what the story is behind that scene, but it was so experimental the way that he shot it. Cause yeah. they, you didn't see the images of these men at all. It no. was just image. Cause they were supposed to be like factory workers and you just see images of like a steel factory and like metal being melted over this voiceover of these two guys being like, Oh, it's Monday. I had a great <laughs> weekend. Like, but uh, gosh, in the beginning of another week, Hey, what do you think about this uh, sex change story in the paper? And yeah. like, Oh, it's okay. As long as this guy's happy, I guess it's fine. <laughs> yeah. And it was like, what the fuck is it's, happening? Yeah. Well, and also, like, you know, he didn't have a budget to shoot that scene. He just had B-roll, and he made it work. Like, throughout the movie, I was impressed with what he was able to do. but Because, yeah, so much was stock footage. So much of it. Um, Which is actually, like, just as someone who doesn't know what 
Hollywood looked like at that time, I was fascinated with all the shots of like highways and stuff. Yeah, because a lot of it was shot in LA and I was trying to figure out like all the um, exterior shots of, yeah, the freeways and the buildings, Uh like where, oh, is this, wait, is this the 110 or the 101? And you're like, what is going, like, where is this? And uh, yeah, I think there were shots of downtown LA too. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that's always fun to see um, in movies from that time, like what has changed and what has stayed the same. Yeah, totally. Uh, And then we have to talk about two, uh, Bella Lugosi, who is top build, <laughs> and obviously, like if you've seen Edward, you know, like they, you know, uh, Edward and Bella Lugosi like had a long working relationship, and Bella Lugosi was at the end of his rope. Yeah. Um, but so he is not even the narrator; he no. is like a meta narrator, sort of host in doing his Dracula voice, sitting down. I mean, he's like completely strung out on morphine or whatever, whatever he was on. Yeah. Um, I think it was morphine. Yeah. And like, obviously he was a name even in 1953 and was probably the, the reason why this movie was even able to get made is because he was a bit of a name at this time. Well, the movie does a funny, the Ed Wood. Tim yeah. Burton what did they say in it? Well, he's like, I can get you a name and I can make this movie for however much money. And then he brings in Lugosi and you can tell the guy's like, wait, what? So he wasn't even really that big of a name, but he treat, he loved this man so much. He treated him like that. Yeah. He gave him like the Belagosi in Glenn or Glenda, but he, he's in like a couple of, yeah, they cut back to him every once in a while. And I think, cause like, like we said, this movie is basically, almost like a documentary or an educational film, but because of Bela Lugosi, it's framed as this sort of like monster movie. And like, let me tell you about the crazy (laughs) stuff in like in the human experience. (laughs) And you're like, Oh, this is like there. He's using the structure or like the genre of these like universal uh, monster movies from the thirties to talk about the trans experience in a way that like now would be thought of as Eh, probably pretty offensive but like that because like to equate um because they even explicitly equate like being trans with frankenstein's monster yeah which is like a very obviously like problematic way to explain (laughs) but that was like one way that he was able to contextualize everything right and like a way for an audience to somehow be brought in of like oh we're going to talk about something weird and something different um and then it is like this trojan horse for this very uh, gentle human movie about like acceptance. <laughs> I don't know. I was know. gonna say, yeah, it ends up being a much tender, more tender thing than you'd think, but it sets it up as this like, uh, yeah, like it's gonna be like a big monster movie, and he like has this own little scene at the top where he like invents humanity in that little. Do you oh, that? Yeah, 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 yeah. Bottle, and he like knocks something over because Edward was notorious for just doing one take and oh, moving sure. on, so you could tell that these are like trash takes, <laughs> yeah. but. Oh man, I laughed so hard. There's a scene where he invents humanity and then half the screen is people walking around and then he's looking down at them. <laughs> like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like they try to uh, to set it up and to like merge Bela Lugosi's part with the rest of the movie, which it's not only Ed Wood as Glenn and Glenda, but his real life girlfriend at the time is playing his girlfriend mm-hmm. in them. And that's the part that Sarah Jessica Parker played in, um, in the yes. Tim Burton movie. Yeah, okay. that's right. Uh, and then, and then the rest of the movie is sort of, so then there's like another narrator and then it's framed both as like this, this suicide of this, this trans woman that, uh, killed herself named Patricia, who was arrested several times for, you know, wearing women's clothing. And finally she killed herself. And then there's a conversation between the police officer and a psychologist about 
what this means and what quote unquote transvestites are and, and what they feel. Um, and then it goes into presumably Edward's own issues using the character of Glenn and Glenda and him coming to grips with telling his girlfriend that he, uh, likes to wear women's clothing and yeah, he never, well, like the language is so different now, but like he identifies presumably as a transvestite. And nowadays, I mean, I don't know, like, I don't know how, uh, Edward would identify. <laughs> I can't, You're but yeah, right. it's interesting. It's interesting that, and he makes a very clear differentiation between homosexuality and transvestitism. And then also, uh, comparing that to the other story, which gets a lot of short shrift at yeah. the end of the movie. Alan uh, and Alan and Alma or Alan and and maybe, Anne, I think, um, which I think, you're right. He does do like a good job of defining that this isn't homosexuality, but it doesn't feel like a harsh line. Like, you feel like he treats at least these two stories as like similar and both that need to be like realized and noticed. I don't know. Yeah, That's he, my perspective. He, yeah, he treat. I, I think he treats both his own. Uh, and we're using the male pronoun just because that's the way that uh, I guess Edward identified. And, <laughs> um, but it's but uh, Anne. It's funny. Uh, the movie uses the they pronoun sometimes, which oh, I, yeah. that just like, I, that struck me as like, wow, I didn't like, I don't know if that was just sort of a slip of the tongue using the plural to mean the singular, or if it was a conscious choice and then using the feminine pronoun, she and her to, um, to talk about, uh, and formerly Alan. But I do feel like Edward does throw homosexuality under the bus a little bit. Yeah. It's like, Oh, I might like to uh, wear women's clothing and I might even want to be a woman, but I'm definitely not gay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wink at the camera. No. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I feel like, yeah, you're, that makes sense. Cause it does, it, it treats the answer as like, she is a woman. And there's that kind of, I don't know how you felt about it when they're like at 24, she is born and she is a woman where it's like, I feel like someone like that maybe felt that way their entire life. And they don't necessarily think right now I'm, officially i don't know yeah i don't know like i uh i'd be really interested to hear from uh trans people how they um respond to this movie because yeah uh ann who was born alan went to and this and i didn't this is an actor that was hired or this was all stock footage hard to tell i have no idea because this seemed like a a real story of i don't know i don't i you know, I think it was an actor. An actor. Because th- th- this was coming out at the time of um, Christine Jorgensen, who was the first high-profile person to have a sex change. And it was like a big sort of tabloid news story at the time. And I think oh. that was like the article that everyone in the movie kept referring back to. They they would show the front page of the paper, like, yeah. sex change. and Shocks they kept nation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, this, this character, um, Anne Born Allen... Uh, and uh, talk about going to the army and then overseas she realizing that there are um you can have a sex change and then finally you know feeling comfortable in her own skin after that and yeah that part was really uh just seems so so ahead of its time yeah because like i mean and i'm older than you but mm-hmm. i remember that there was just no visibility in pop culture for trans people at all when I was growing up. I mean, except the two examples that I remember are both like horrifying and, and, and like, I, I, oh, which I, are those? Well, in 1994, two movies, I was 12 years old. Two movies came out. 
really popular movies, Ace Ventura, Pet Detective. Oh, yes, and, yes. And uh, Naked Gun 33 and a Third. And okay. both of those movies have reveals at the end where uh, like a sexy lady is revealed to be a trans woman and it's like like disgusting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Anna Nicole Smith in, in naked gun. She's like the, you know, sex pot throughout the whole movie. And then I remember, and I haven't, I literally haven't seen this movie since I was 12 years old, but (laughs) it really made it. I don't know. It affected me somehow. I don't know. But yeah, you see a silhouette you see, I don't remember what exactly the context was, but it was a reveal of a silhouette of like her penis basically. Uh. And you just see it in shadow. And then it like, it like disgusts all the characters and it's like both as like a comic effect. And then just like horrifying that this woman that presumably the, the male audience was attracted to the whole time isn't in fact, you know, like quote unquote a man. Huh, yeah. And then in Ace Ventura, it's Sean Young who's like the villain. And that, I think it just is like talked about like, Oh, she has a dick. Well, they're what like, who to- could be the like field goal kicker for this NFL team? And she's like the police chief. And then it turns out she's that person that had a sex change that also used it to hide from the law. But, or no, she, no, she doesn't. Because I think at the end of the movie, you see her like balls or something. Oh, okay, yeah. And then he's like, oh, and yeah. it's like a big gag. And yeah. I don't know when I was like, those were literally the only two examples I could think of, of like, actually uh dealing with <laughs> trans yeah. women and it's so horrifying and then the first time i remember like a movie that took it seriously was uh was boys don't cry mm-hmm. um like because that's based on a real person and that came out i think i was either uh, senior in high school or freshman in college and that like i felt took those issues seriously for the first time i had ever seen in a movie but yeah this it came out 40 years before 50, yeah. yeah crazy that's I mean, it's so awesome it was made and, like, is still around to watch and see what the... I guess this isn't what the conversation was like at all, but to see that there were people thinking that there was, like, a way to maybe change the perception and it took 40 years, I guess, for anyone to really... Yeah, like... Do a good job. I mean, even... Obviously, like, even now, only in the last couple of years uh, has, like, visibility started to happen in like, you know, mainstream culture dealing with, with trans issues. Cause I mean, tra- transparent only came out like start, I don't know, five or six years ago. Yeah. And like the conversation has completely changed since, since then. Yeah. And when now, that came out, people were like, what a show about yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. And now it's like, Oh, you have this, you know, cis male actor playing a trans one. And that wouldn't right. hopefully never happen again. Mm-hmm. Um, except, not if Scarlett Johansson has anything to say about Uh-oh. it. What? What is she? Oh, she was, you know, she was cast as like a, a trans man in this movie about, Oh gosh, some guy who ran some brothel that turned out to be a trans man. Okay. Uh, and she like got the rights to this person's story, but then there was like a big oh. uproar and then she had like a horrible reaction and she, she was like, Oh, I can play anyone I want. Like I can play, uh, she was like, talk to Felicity Huffman's agent and Hillary Swank's agent and Jared Leto's agent and see what they say about that. Um, oh, no. Because uh, awesome. this came right after like her basically playing an Asian woman in um, oh, that, yeah. uh, that anime or that like anime remake. Um, well, now she's probably going to get her first Oscar nomination. So good for Scarlett Johansson. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, but yeah, like the we like to think, I don't know. We like to think that like our generation is like changing culture at a fast pace. And like these issues are being brought up for the first time, but Uh then you like 
you do look back on like film history and like, no, people were talking like no one wanted to hear it, but people were talking about this. At least, right. at least Ed Wood was. Yeah, I know. And it's amazing. He got through, I bet so many people were shut down in ways and he was just able to find his little, I don't know, his opportunity to tell this story and make movies after that. And like kind of, I don't know. Yeah. Like he, cause I was looking at his IMDb and it's amazing. I mean, people make fun of Ed Wood, but like, Oh, he got, you know, 12 movies made or something. Yeah. That's like, that's so amazing. Like Making anyone, one movie yeah. that's even 69 oh minutes God. in a mess yeah. is very impressive. It's Absolutely. hard to make a movie. Especially back then, you are you have to raise money, shoot on, No one could, you know, uh, shoot stuff on their iPhones. Like, you yeah. had to, like, shoot on film and... Uh, we seem so lazy in comparison oh to that time. Well, and, like... So he had, like... There was a little studio that was financing these movies. And I guess Glenn or Glenda must have done relatively well because he kept he was able to keep making movies for a while. Yeah. The Ed Wood movie again, where I did all of my research yeah. for this, the guy that's name is all over this, George, whatever, right, right, right. didn't want to let him make this movie, but he had the money to make a movie. He didn't care about what he hoped it was a B movie, but I think, yeah, I think he made it under budget and they probably made the budget back. And they're like, okay, you can make another one. And then he started to like use Bella Lugosi as like a name to yeah. pull funding. And then know. did he do plan nine from outer space right after this? Or was there, Ones in between, maybe. I forget. I saw the movie like a month and a half oh, ago, okay. <laughs> but <laughs> I already forgot. I think it's it's in there somewhere. And he, he pulled a lot of favors for Plan 9, which is very funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, and now I can't wait to see that. Have you seen that one? No, okay, no, yeah. I do want to. Um, Yeah, I it, it is like so, well, similar to uh, The Room, The Disaster Artist, even though that guy, Tommy Wiseau, seems like sort of an asshole mm-hmm. and not, he doesn't seem as like pure of heart as Ed would. Yeah. But it, it is weird for any movie to be considered like the worst there obviously has to be something that like strikes a nerve in Mm -hmm. people and like yeah i don't know like i i guess i i just have so much affection for this movie uh i wanted to talk about one other thing is call me crazy i think he's really good in it as an actor yeah because it's his story but like all the other actors feel so of the time and he seems like the one natural person maybe he wasn't then but for me like I was able to relate to him just in the way he was like talking and like feeling things where like the wo- woman playing his girlfriend or yeah. even the psychologist was so one no. You're right. I didn't even think about that, but you're totally right that like he was the one person or one performance that you just bought into like this is a real person. Yeah. Uh, and the, yeah, I didn't like the girlfriend who's really his girlfriend because you look at her and you're like, ooh, she's not an actor. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and yeah, and obviously Bela Lugosi is. He's whatever somewhere else. He's, he's on doing. another planet, really. Because uh, he, I mean, I, I guess Bela Lugosi was never like a great actor, <laughs> yeah. but it is amazing how iconic, like just him as himself is basically like what our idea of Dracula is almost a hundred years later. Mm-hmm. Um, it's still just him it's still, doing yeah, that thing. Doing, and he goes for it so hard. Like looking in his eyes, he's oh like having God. the most fun, I he think. He reminds me of like if you ever have like the one sort of older guy in your improv class <laughs> that's just like having so much fun and like getting so much pleasure from this but is like a little on his, like off in his own world. Yeah, you're like, that's, oh, we love him. He's not getting invited to the practice group <laughs> yeah, but exactly. we enjoy being in class with him. Um, oh, God, I would love if uh, Bella goes, you took a UCB class. <laughs> um, but yeah, you're you're right. Like, Edward, there is such a real like pain in his performance. Yeah. I think um, there's a scene where he, the scene where he proposes to her is even, he's like, Hey honey, why don't you sit down? And 
he like knows he's doing it before he tells her about his thing. I was like really captivated. And it's shot like you don't see her face. You just see him and like this. Yeah. Shot. Yeah. I was thinking they just concentrate on him because like she's such a bad actor. They didn't <laughs> yeah. cut to her very much. I also love like the, the two shot of them at the kitchen table. Um, they both get up at the same time and the table just like wobbles. <laughs> and you're like, There's that so would never happen. Uh, but how fucked up it would be because they I'm sure had pretty much like this conversation in real life. Mm to like relive like traumatic moments with your significant other, like making a movie about it. Well, in the, the way it's portrayed in the but Tim Burton movie is that after this movie at like a, a party for it, he does dress up in women's clothing and she breaks up with him. She's like, you're making a fool of yourself. And he's like, no, I feel comfortable. And that mm. did end up ending their relationship, whether that's art or life imitating art or whatever. Yeah. So was she like when they were making this movie, was she not aware that this was like his personal struggle as well? She was, but she, I guess she thought it was just at home. And when he started to share it outside of the movie, I think she just drew a line and she's like, you got to take yourself seriously. I came out here to be an actress and you're making a fool of yourself. And he's oh, like, yeah. I'm not. And it's like, you're making a fool of yourself, honey. Like if you're mm -hmm. trying to be an actress. <laughs> yeah. She's so, she's like, rough. disgustingly bad. <laughs> Really bad. I love watching it, but I'm like, I oh know. no, oh god. And then um, the actor or actress that plays Anne at the end is very good too. And I, yeah, and that that's interesting also because it uh, so Edward like contrasts his own struggle as what he calls a um, a, trans, a transvestite mm -hmm. with the pseudo hermaphrodite, which you know, now you just call that person trans because right. they they say like. Oh, this like a hermaphrodite, quote unquote, is someone who is born with both sex organs. A pseudo hermaphrodite is someone who is like born, they say born with like one working sex organ and like one like, hidden, like which I, latent, yeah, yeah I which know. I'm like, I don't really think that this is like scientifically what right. is going on, but, uh. Yeah, a lot of the stuff they say too is before they had any idea what like you could do with hormones and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Except and it seems like Anne, like having you know you 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 have uh, like reassignment surgery and then you're still taking hormones every yeah. day. Back in the fifties, that was basically the same thing. Or I'm sure like technology has progressed a lot, but like that's right. a similar thing that's happening that happens now. Yeah, they do say she has like hundreds of shots yeah. of that. But they say you can only have a successful sex change if you are one of these pseudo hermaphrodites. Oh yeah, all that stuff is complete like, bullshit. Yeah. yeah, but that well, that psychiatrist says it also matters. Like every line he delivers, like, I'm telling you exact science and the truth. And it's like, yeah, in the 50s, like this was so progressive of a psychologist to be like, you know, this these are the terms, blah blah blah. And now, I mean, we're but we're the same way in this. Like in 50 years the things that we say are going to be so offensive to people. <laughs> so it's like, who That's are so we true. to judge people from 50 years ago? Yeah. He was, he, I mean, truly, I think this for his first movie to be a passion project like this and to be in it and to yeah. like put his like favorite actor in and do all this stuff. Like this feels like his defining thing. Oh, it's so it's awesome. What he's remembered for. Yeah. To like, yeah, to have some, something so personal and so fucking weird and mm -hmm. being able to actually make it is yeah. crazy. Um, one other thing about the movie I wanted to talk about yeah. that I thought was kind of sweet and like his own fantasy world of how people interact is the whole reason the movie starts is that cop comes into the psychiatrist, not to solve a crime, but to understand why that person that transvestite in the movie killed themselves. And he's so patient and like, huh? Okay. And like talking yeah. back, it's such a great dialogue. It's it, never that's what, I mean, one of the things that's so lovely about this movie is every character in it is, patiently trying to understand what's going on 
from yeah the cop to the psychologist to their girlfriends like everyone is really earnestly trying to be as uh as like patient as possible learning about this stuff which is so not it's like a fantasy right because a real cop probably wouldn't give a shit of you know that scene would have been really fucked up yeah Yeah. it would have been so fucked up but yeah in this movie everyone is like their best selves Mm -hmm. um so yeah, I'll talk a little little bit about like the afterlife of this movie, and this is all coming from Wikipedia. So, um, so in 1980, Wood was posthumously given the accolade of worst director of all time at the Golden Turkey Awards, hmm. which I guess was like the precursor to the Razzies. Yeah. I don't know. And it says a revival of interest in his work followed. This led to Glenn or Glenda being reissued in 1982. This cut included six minutes of additional footage. Oh, apparently this additional footage. Uh, there's a scene where we didn't see it, but um, uh, there's a guy that like makes a pass at Glenda. And then that's like another scene where she explains, no, it's homosexuality is different from what like, and it was like a, a little, another little teaching thing. Like, Like, no, I don't like 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 interact in this situation. And, um, and then, oh, and it says, at this point, the film was reviewed seriously and reclaimed as a radical work. I thought hmm. we were the ones reclaiming this as a radical work. <laughs> uh, but apparently Steve Jenkins. Dang it. Um, and then uh, Leonard Malton, who's usually a nice guy. He hmm. names Glenn or Glenda as possibly the worst movie ever made. Okay. Um, so uh, we were having such a good conversation i totally forgot to read paul rowan's review of glenn or glenda uh this is the first episode of high camp you're watching um i stole the name of this podcast from a series of gay film guides from the 90s called high camp and it was they were all written by uh amateur film critic and professional librarian from duluth minnesota named paul rowan so he says about glenn or glenda Glenn or Glenda, a drag queen drama written and directed by the noted transvestite Edward D. Wood is by by definition a deeply personal artistic achievement. More so at any rate than Wood's other masterworks, which include Bride of the Monster and Plan 9 from Outer Space. The film gets underway with Bela Lugosi ranting and raving incoherently at the camera. (laughs) Via a horizontally split screen, he glowers omnisciently down upon the passing people of the cityscape that takes up the screen's lower half. People, he grumbles, all going somewhere, all with their own thoughts, their own ideas, all with their own personalities. Shot cuts back to Bella and his enigmatic pronouncements periodically interrupt the proceedings that follow, undermining the film's already feeble narrative pulse. Scene two confronts us with the tacky suicide of a dowdy crossdresser, rough, clad in a prim buttoned up frock, which he wants, ooh, misgendering him, which he wants to be buried in. It's with his, her, last wish, let my body rest in death forever in the things I cannot wear in life. This apparently has a poignant effect on police inspector Lyle Talbot, who seems like a typical tough cop, but who secretly is a softie at heart. He seeks out a psychiatrist to explain the problem of transvestites. Problem is in quotes. The doctor, Timothy Farrell, relates a case history which takes up most of the movie. This, of course, is the story of Glenn or Glenda. Okay, this review is way longer than oh most God. of them There's in the book. There's a picture in it, too. Yeah, so I'm just going to jump to the uh, last paragraph. This crazy movie 
with its ramshackle and probably complex structure, gets more and more nutty as it goes along. <laughs> nutty. The centerpiece is a lengthy fa phantasmagoria of delirium, induced by Glenn's indecision as to whether he ought to confi confide in Dolores. She's trapped beneath a phallic-looking fallen tree, which significantly Glenn is unable to lift or erect, till he takes off his frilly Glenda duds. This is followed by a couple of utterly extraneous bits, which seem to have been specifically inserted for the straight male audience. Oh yeah, this is the part where I fell asleep. Yeah, where all the women are just kind of like- Yeah, like the S&M girl. Right. Um, first, there's a sado-lesbo-porno-bondage scene with women tying each other up to the accompaniment of what sounds like Slovenian polka band music. <laughs> Next, we witness a heterosexual rape. Did we? What? I don't remember this part. Uh, and the music switches. Remember that. The music switches to a honky tonk arrangement of ballet music from Aida. The mind reels. Words fail me, but nowhere near as often as they failed Edward D. Wood. Ooh, rough. Um, well, he liked it more than I thought he would. Yeah. He, but he did undermine every part of it. It seems like. Oh yeah, no, like I love Paul Rowan. I wouldn't be doing this podcast without Paul Rowan, mm -hmm. but. He can be a real bitch. <laughs> I love it. Uh, so before we go, I ask all my guests on High Camp, if we were to write a third volume of High Camp, what movie would you nominate to add to the list? Well, definitely watching this, I was thinking of The Room a lot. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I feel like my notion of what camp is is perhaps incorrect. There is no incorrect uh, definition of camp because Paul Rowan has a completely incorrect definition of camp. He claims that it is just any movie with intrinsic interest to homosexuals, which is very different from like the classic Susan Sontag definition of camp, which is the uh, a failed seriousness. Yeah. Um, so you can really say whatever you want. In that case, my favorite, one of my favorite movies of all time, it's terrible, it's called Winter's Tale. It's not based off Shakespeare. And it stars Colin Farrell uh, and Rebecca Colin Brown Farrell. Finley. He's so good in it and he tries so hard, but the movie is trash. And Akiva Goldsman pulled every favor to make it. Okay. And it's a wonderful, like, terrible, terrible movie. Is it, it's like an action movie or what is it? It's it's like taking a 400 page book and trying to turn it into like two hours. And it's all over the place. And it's a love story, but it halfway through it's not a love story. And it's one person in two times. And there's a horse that's a dog that's also a constellation and you gotta watch. <laughs> wow. Uh, I sort of remember very vaguely when it came out because I thought it was going to be uh, the Shakespeare adaptation, yeah. which is sort of an unfilmable play. Uh, but I'm curious. And like Akiva Goldsman, he's, he was one of those like screenwriters that just like did everything in the 80s and 90s. Yeah, he did Beautiful Mind and oh, yeah. a ton of stuff that was like awards... Like a hack. <laughs> no. Uh, Akiva Goldman, please hire me. <laughs> there you go. Uh, but yeah, like that sort of, I don't know. Yeah, like Ron Howardy type movies. Totally. Yeah. Mm. Um, well, that's as good of a definition of camp as any. Hmm. Uh, I will have to check out Winter's Tale. I've definitely seen The Room many times. <laughs> yeah, and that is, yeah, that's definitely like the Sontag definition of failed seriousness. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brian, thank you so much for coming on my podcast. Oh, thanks um, for having me. Yeah, of course. Uh, anything you want to plug? Uh, follow my Instagram at Brian's Faces. I'll draw anyone's face for free. Just ask for one. And I have a comic book coming out soon. So stay posted on that on my Instagram. Oh, that's so cool. I, Brian, you still do one of your Brian's Faces every single day, right? Yeah, it's been over five years now. That's 
unbelievable. <laughs> That's amazing that Thank anyone you. to do anything every day for five years. I don't think I've even brushed my teeth every day for five <laughs> years. That's, I certainly haven't. Yeah. Wow. Uh, I'm extremely impressed. Yeah. Go check out Brian's Instagram. It's, uh, it's amazing. Um, if you like the podcast, go on Apple Podcasts. Give me a five-star review. Uh, go on Instagram and Twitter for this. It's called at High Camp Pod or follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Rucker Bry. I will see you guys next week. Bye.